Well, hello, everybody. Um, I'm Jimmy Castile with Knowledge Transfer Group, and today we are bringing you a regional version of Agronomy on the Go for the SEC region. Uh, we're going to be hitting on uh, some things all cotton. We're going to be talking a little bit about cotton defoliation and some end-of-the-season management. Uh, with us today, we have Zach Webb, uh, TA for Azegrady Calvin Delta Pine from the Carolinas, the Northeast. And we also have our cotton guy, Jay Mahaffey, our Scott Learning Center manager with us today. Um, we're going to get things started off. And guys, I'd like to, you know, just ask you to give a little advice and some, some, some your opinion on timings and everything around cotton defoliation. Yeah, I'll tell you, tell you what we've got over here in the Carolinas this year, Jay, and we can talk about uh, how we're going to approach it. You know, every year we say we've got a mixed bag. Well, it's never been more true than this year. About 10 days ago, our cotton hit hard cutout for the most part, but there are spots around that didn't hit hard cut out up in the northern tier where they had a little more moisture. And we still got some green cotton. We're still trying to flower and make that junk in the top. But for the most part, our crop hit hard cut. And I, I attribute a lot of that to, number one, we had a pretty good bowl load in the bottom of the plant. And the other thing, we, we went through a lot of uh, hot heat and drought stress this year on our crop. And while we lost some of that top crop, we've got a pretty heavy bottom crop. And so after this last hurricane, Idalia came through, I've noticed a lot of fields have, have taken that purple look to them, uh, and they're pretty much done. Um, some of the things I think we're going to run into is some fields where we had severe drought stress and heat stress uh, that we don't have that really heavy bowl load. I think we're going to start to see some regrowth in those pretty soon. I'm already seeing a little bit of regrowth in those, and uh, but the, the rest of the crop right now, I, I think that hard cutout that we hit I don't know that we'll see a ton of regrowth in that because we've had moisture now and I'm not seeing it there yet. But I think overall, for the most part, we're going to have a relatively easy crop to defoliate other than those areas that were stressed or those areas that still have fertility in, in, in the crop. Well, I, I would say here at the Learning Center, we are in a similar position. We've got cotton that was planted on for a variety of dates. And I was making around this morning trying to figure out exactly what to do. We've got some defoliation studies in place or will be in place by the end of the week where we're going to start defoliating at various timings. And I think as a result of, of the variability in the crop, whether it's regional or local or on your farm or individual case, there are some things in you, in you I think you bring up the relevant points uh, exactly. We need to be aware of the fruit load and fruiting pattern that's present in every field so that we can make the correct decisions about defoliation. You know, generally, when we talk about defoliation, the things that I would point out to people are people ask about products and what products to use. When it's warm, it's really a matter of, of your personal choice and what you prefer to use and have available and all those kind of things. They all work pretty well. When it starts to get cold, that's when the magic happens and you got to there's a little bit of it seems mysterious, but there's some decisions to make there as a, as conditions change. The thing I would point out to everyone is exactly what you said. What's the impact of uh, fruiting patterns and uh, the performance or the, the profile of the field as it was influenced by the environment through the year? When you start looking at those fields that are at hard cutout that don't appear to be regrowing, that are actively, uh, at least around here, they are actively in the business of opening bowls naturally. 
I think that is a place where caution should be exercised in timing of, of, of defoliation, primarily for the influences on fiber quality, Micronair mainly. When you look at those other fields and you have other uh, factors at play, things like a better top crop or alterations in fruiting pattern that influence the distribution of the bowls, there are other things to consider in that decision. Uh, you know, you need to mature the bowls that you intend to harvest. Don't wait on ones that don't contribute a whole lot to yield in the top. I mean, that's where we get into trouble a lot of times with defoliation. We wait on things that aren't going to contribute very much and let the rest of the crop drift higher in Micronair. And, and that's kind of our decision process here at Scott. And typically we start thinking about making the decision at about 50% open. And by 60% open, we've generally defoliated most of our crop. I agree totally, Jay. And I think what we'll see this year in our crop, that, that hard cutout crop that doesn't have that top crop, because we don't have that top crop to offset some of that micronary in the bottom of that plant, we're going to try, try to convince those guys to go a little earlier than normal uh, with their defoliation and bowl openers to try to help offset some of that high micronary in the bottom of the crop. Um, you know, what, what we thought was a very late crop, um, because of the heat we've had this year, has hurried this crop up quite a bit. Yeah. So I think we're going to catch a lot of folks going to get caught off guard just because they're not expecting this crop to be ready as fast as it is. And they maybe don't have things in place to go with that early defoliation. But I agree 100% that five or six nose both crack bowl, 50% open, somewhere along in there is where this, this cotton that don't have a top crop needs to be defoliated and go ahead and get it out of the field. Some of the issue I see or have observed really through my, my career has been when you start making that question or making that asking the question about when to defoliate, if you go out and look at a cotton field that's 40 or 50% open, there's not a lot of open cotton there relatively compared to what you expect to pick. And it's really quite a shock, particularly if you historically have been in a position, I just let it open as far as it'll open. And then I apply a defoliant, you know, at that point, that's in some of these varieties and some of these conditions, that is a recipe for high micronair in my experience. So you guys both both mentioned micronair. Um, you know, I'm I'm from the Midwest. I'm, I was, you know, looking that up just so I could learn a little something. And I found it very intriguing, you know, when I was reading about it. So if we could just, you know, maybe give a little refresher on micronair and, and the value and, and what we're looking for there. Micronair is one of the primary fiber quality measurements, which are all qualitative measurements directed toward the marketability and spinability and the ultimate value of the fiber. Micronair is a measure of, uh, it's an indirect measure of spinability, but it's actually a measure of the relative fineness of the fiber. And it, and it gets lost in the conversation a lot of times. What is Micronair? It's two words, micron and air. So you take a known amount of fiber, compress it to a known volume and drag and, and pull air through it. And if more air goes through, that's an indication that you have coarse, more well-developed fiber. Those are somewhat more stiff, difficult to spin, or more difficult to spin fibers. If you, if you do the same test on the fiber and you wind up with uh, rather undeveloped fiber that's fine, like lint and that kind of thing, uh, or like really fine length that you pull out of a filter somewhere, something like that. That's hard to spin because it breaks up a lot of times in the spinning process. 
the the net of that is that a that a, a mill or a spinner wants one that's in the middle. It's in kind of that Goldilocks zone of of just right. And there are premiums that they vary some uh, year to year and and buyer to buyer as to what they actually want. But there are those average values in the middle that are that are the best properties. The thing about Micronet to remember, and, and Zach touched on it a minute ago, is that it is heavily influenced by a couple of things. There's some varietal component to that. Uh, historically, high yield is typically associated with high Micronet without interventions in management. Now, that's not always true, and there are always exceptions to everything in cotton. But the thing that influences it is there's, there's some genetic component, of course. There is a yield component. There is a defoliation component, but there's also uh, an influence of the fruiting pattern that Zach mentioned earlier. Typically, high micronaire bowls are bowls that are more well-developed and older in the bottom of the canopy. The ones in the middle are about average, and the ones on top are relatively the lower micronaire. Well, the picker, the gin, the, the carding process at the mill, they all stir that up and blend it, so you get the average of whatever was on the plant. When you have changes in fruiting profile, that grossly affects the average in some cases. And you think about it, there, there are multiple ways. If you have a poor bottom, relatively poor bottom crop, that typically drives Micronair down. If you have a good bottom crop and a poor top, that typically drives Micronair to higher ranges. You know, all of those things should be accounted for. And when you look at fields that don't have much of a top and a real strong bottom, those are fields that will typically wind up in the discount range for Micronair if you don't defoliate somewhat prematurely or, or more prematurely than you would on average. All right, that, that's really great information. Very, very interesting, you know, how that cotton plant works. It's, it's always intriguing to, to listen to you guys talk cotton from a guy from the Midwest. Um, you know, that's, that's some really, like I said, really good information. Um, if we would here, you know, we'll kind of wrap up here and, and both get your thoughts. Zach, we can th start with you on some of uh, some of the other things maybe to look forward to or, or be thinking about on some end of the season management as we get towards that end of the growing season for cotton. Yeah, one of the things that I, I get a lot of calls on is a late season application of a PGR. Uh, along about this time of the year, guys are trying to prevent that, that buggy whip or turkey neck out the top of, uh, of the plant. And they want to know, am I hurting myself by putting it out there? And quite honestly, they're not hurting a thing in the world by doing that, I don't think. Some of these guys who believe in this say they, they think they're redirecting energy. Uh, I don't know if they're redirecting energy into the bowls or not, but they believe in it they, what, in what they've seen. So they're going out there late season and putting out, maybe it's four ounces of stance, maybe it's a pint and a half of a mepiquot, whatever it is. They think, think they see some benefit um, uh, during harvest time, not seeing that, that buggy whip or that regrowth at the, at the top so bad. That junk that Jay talked about a while ago at the top doesn't, doesn't provide any value. They think they're eliminating some of that. So that's, that's one of the things that we see late in the season that guys have a lot of questions on as well. I would add a comment to that, and this is almost a, a, a learning center-specific comment. There are, there are a lot of people who pursue that late season application of PGR, and we're now doing, you know, we're to the point of analyzing the crop and thinking about what happened. There are many cases where, uh, you know, alterations in how you use PGR early changes fruiting pattern and helps manage some of that later season explosive growth like that. You have, you have the cotton in a better position by using some PGR early, even if it's at greatly reduced rates, and get the cotton 
sort of in the shape to, to not have that regrowth because it's accumulated such fruit load. But I realize there's lots of things happening in biology with the weather and the climate and everything that happens. So we have to react like we, we feel appropriate in each field. But that's something I would encourage people to think about. If you have problematic fields at this point this year, think about ways that we can position those fields for next year where they're in a, in a little bit better shape. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for that great, great information. And, and we hope this brings everybody value there in the SEC region and the cotton growing area. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you guys later on down the road. But thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Performance may vary from location to location and from year to year as local growing, soil and weather conditions may vary. Growers should evaluate data from multiple locations and years whenever possible and should consider the impacts of these conditions on the growers' fields. Asgrove, Bear, DeKalb, and Delta Pine are registered trademarks of Bear Group, 2023 Bear Group, all rights reserved.